It's a long way to the top. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, September 19th, 2014. This week is episode 340. We're coming to you from Studio D at the IAQ Radio, IAQ Training Institute, world headquarters in the mountains of Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in the studio is our engineer, Jess Lawson. Good afternoon. Good day, Jess. Back in Studio C in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, is my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Happy Friday, Joe. Good day, Cliff. My wife told me to quit calling you my partner. She said it sounded funny on the radio, and I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. We're we're business partners, right? Also, joining us for the roundtable, or the roundup, I hope, is going to be Dr. Wow. I don't see him yet, but uh, we'll find out. All right, today we've got Bud Offerman coming to us from the Bay Area out in San Francisco. Looking forward to a great Interesting interview on e-cigarettes. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N, dot com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. Of course, you can download the shows. Uh, follow the link on the iaqradio.com website that says go to show, or you can get us on iTunes. We also have continuing education credits. Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right, Cliff, let's turn it over to you for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Won a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. You can either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. <laughs> to Andy Krosowski, Comcast Metal Products, for being the first person to identify number seven World Trade Center as the last building that collapsed following the 9-11 attack. The IQ Radio Trivia question for Friday, September 19, 2014, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for well over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events, their website is www.trsca.org. Now for this week's two-part IAQ Radio trivia question. Name the date on which the last televised U.S. TV commercial for cigarettes aired and the cigarette brand featured in the ad. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right, today's guest is Mr. Bud Offerman. Bud is returning. He was on... Um 
I think it's maybe been almost two years now uh, to discuss ventilation. Oh, nine. Oh, my goodness. Five years. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun, Cliff. And uh, right. <laughs> Bud's now, I, I better change his bio to 30 years of experience as an IAQ researcher, sick building investigator, mitigation planner. He designs healthy buildings. He's a healthy building consultant, an expert witness, a technical author, and a workshop instructor. He's also the president of Indoor Environmental Engineering, a San Francisco-based IAQ consulting firm. Under his supervision, they have developed both proactive and reactive IAQ measurement methods and diagnostic protocols. He has been the recipient of state and federal research grants regarding building air quality and ventilation field studies. For instance, one was the EPA-based study, uh, or IAQ, in office buildings and schools, a, a really commonly referenced study, actually. Uh, he does tracer gas techniques, in situ, in situ containment emission rate measurements, and development of indoor air quality measurement instrumentation. Uh, prior to starting up indoor environmental engineering, he was a staff scientist with the Building Ventilation and Indoor Air Quality Program, Energy and Environment Division at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, in Berkeley, California, and most recently, he got a, put together a really nice article on the hazards of e-cigarettes. I, I got to compliment you on this one, but it's real easy to read and and uh, kind of short to the point. I like that. Uh, we've got some music for Bud. on the line hello bud hey how all you right doing? we've got you hey thanks so much for joining us um and i didn't realize it's been five years just just notified me here we've been mm-hmm. doing this eight years and we've had a lot of great people along the way and um you're one of our favorites bud it's great to have you back i um you know i, I was going through some of the the background information on this whole e-cigarette thing, and I'm I'm curious, how did you get interested in the, in the whole topic of e-cigarettes? Well, Joe, it's uh, it's indeed been a long, strange trip. Uh, <laughs> I guess it all starts back in the 1960s when in Buffalo, New York. Uh, this is uh, Willis Carrier country, you know. In Buffalo, New York, I was uh, waiting for the bus after school with some of my friends, and we were kind of experimenting with a cigarette. And lo and lo- behold, my mom drives by. Sees me, and she worked with people down at Roswell Cancer Clinic, people that had their larynx removed, threw me in the car, drove me down there, and showed me people smoking cigarettes with holes in their neck. Needless to say, it made a big impression. Um, you know, in the 1990s, I, I got very involved with um, uh, regulations and standards on uh, tobacco smoking in buildings. Uh, uh, one of them was with uh, OSHA um, when they hired me as an expert consultant on measurement techniques to see if we could, you know, have a tracer, if you will, so that we could uh, develop a permissible exposure level for tobacco smoke in buildings. Well, of course, uh, hundreds of chemicals in cigarettes, uh, that wasn't really feasible, and it played out as it, is, as it did. Um, there's no smoking allowed in workplaces. Okay. And then there was ASHRAE. Um, I was on the ASHRAE standard 62 for, uh, from 1994 to 1997. And I was pushing for this addenda. Because I don't know if you remember, you have to think back now, that table two, you know, the only thing people look at in standard 62, right? Table two, how much ventilation? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so many CFM per person. At the bottom, there was a footnote that says, accommodates a moderate amount of smoking. And as a scientist and researcher in this area, I'm thinking, you know, we got to change that. And it was moving pretty slowly. So um, I was uh, had a deep throat at uh, ASHRAE. And one of the staffers said, you know, Bud, you can send the president an emergency action standard request. Uh, and so I did that in uh, uh, 99. 
And, and an identity E soon followed from that, which basically said that, you know, smoking was not accommodated by ventilation. So that's, you know, how I kind of got, uh, you know, the background. And then as far as um, e-cigarettes, well, when they came bursting on the market some years ago with these really, you know, incredulous claims of, like, all they produce is nothing but harmless water vapor, and you could use them indoors. I knew, you know, something had to uh, had to get the word out soon on that. So uh, we had our big conference this year in uh, Hong Kong, the uh, the Indoor Air 2014 conference. And uh, so I put together a paper on the chemical emission rates um, <clears throat> of uh, from e-cigarettes, and I did a, what we call the hazard assessment. Uh, and I did it for both the users of the e-cigarettes, what they're inhaling, and also for the passively exposed, the non-users. And that paper was the basis for that ASHRA article, which uh, for those people that are kind of listening to this, uh, to, you might want to open that paper up because there's some things I might refer to. It, it, there's a link right on the email invite. Um, but basically the paper um, concludes that, you know, no, e-cigarettes, they do emit harmful chemicals, and they need to be regulated in the same manner as tobacco smoking. So I hope that it's not too long, but that's how I got into e-cigarettes. Uh, it brings up a couple questions in my mind. And, and by the way, for the listeners, Jess is going to post uh, that link up on the chat board here so that you can go ahead straight to it. It's a great, great article. Let, let me go back a step, though, on the 1990s. Was that 91, 94 OSHA had proposed the regulation on Smoking in buildings? Correct. Okay, and you were a part of um, helping. We Did you help write that, that rule? No, I didn't help. I wasn't in the rulemaking. I was one of the scientists back in Washington, D.C. that was uh, uh, making, it was, you know, the typical uh, way OSHA operates is they, uh, you know, mon- they, um, they like to measure things, and if you're over the limit, they find you. I mean, that's one of their operation methods. So the question is, could we establish a person, uh, permissible exposure level for tobacco smoke, which if we did, which would have been difficult and tough, we'd have to have a way to enforce it, right? right. And that's where I came in. Uh, you know, was there a unique tracer? And there were some things like Salanosol and stuff that were being toyed around, but there really wasn't one that was really uh, feasible. So in the end, uh, uh, no, de- no need to develop a PEL uh, because there's no monitoring method. So we just uh, do what uh, we, we just say: there is no smoking in buildings. So, and that came about without the rule anyway. Basically, it it did. Uh, the ruling was int- uh, was uh, the ruling was very important, though. Okay, okay. And now, Cliff, let me turn it over to you because I know you you helped me a lot with this interview, and you put together some great questions. So let's turn it over to the Z man. Thanks, Joe. But what makes up an e-cigarette, and how does an e-cigarette function? Well, yeah, for those of you that have the article in front of you, there's a little figure one. This is the Asher article showing a schematic of the e-cigarette. And uh, the typical, um, uh, the disposables, they usually have an LED at the end, so when you draw on it, it lights up. When you draw on it, what it, the LED lights in a heater that is like basically a nichrome wire that is embedded in some absorbent material that uh, uh, is, uh, is wicking in the these, this glycol is the carrier for the nicotine and stuff. And the heater vaporizes that. So it, it does vaporize it. But then the next step is as soon as the vapor leaves the heating element, even before it leaves the e-cigarette into your mouth, it instantly condenses into submicron droplets of the uh, glycols, and that's actually an aerosol. So okay. that's that's how it works. It it does it vaporizes inside the cigarette, and then uh, basically the mouthpiece acts as a condenser. So for you ventilation guys, you know what condensers are, and and it instantly turns into a fog of these little nano dro- uh, nano sized droplets of glycol and nicotine and carcinogens. I've got, got just a little follow-up. You know, when, when, when cigarettes, tobacco cigarettes, uh, were marketed, the user had a choice. Do you want a filtered cigarette, mm-hmm. 
unfiltered cigarette. Is there any filter mechanism on these? No, no, there's no uh, filter. I mean, the whole thing is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, they sometimes, you know, put these off as being nicotine, you know, delivery devices, uh, which officially they are not. Uh, but, but I mean, that's what they're kind of there for. But they want to have the whole performance of the smoking, so you can blow smoke rings and everything. Right. So then you have to have the glycol, uh, propylene glycol usually, or glycerol, to make this uh, fog, this smoke, and to carry the nicotine. But you wouldn't need it other than for the theatrics. You could There are nicotine inhalers, for instance, that you can just uh, inhale, and there's no glycol and all that. But So that's the but way it is. Right it's now. a part of the... The mystique, I guess, of smoking is that that smoke and so on. And, and, you know, let me get a follow-up in there, bud. When I, w- I was out in San Francisco, it's been about a year now, and I, and then I was in Purdue not long ago, and walking around some of these little college campuses and some of the urban areas, I, I was really surprised at how many of these um, smokehouses were now popping up. And I, I don't think they were all, like, vapor or vaping. Some of them were... Um, Almost like I don't know water pipes or something. I didn't go in them, but what what's the? Are you seeing that as well all over the country? Is that a big thing with the young people or what? Well, as you know, uh, state of Washington and Colorado have uh, legalized cannabis, right? So, um, you know, uh, that's a whole different thing. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think uh, there's definitely a lot more of those things popping up around the country, especially in the states where it's legalized. Do you have any idea how many people are, are using these products? The e-cigarettes? Yes. No, um, that's not my shtick on the, that side of it. I'd have to defer to someone else. But let's just say the least, that's very popular. You know, they make them in different flavors that are appealing to kids, which is just, you know, uh, you know, this is the tobacco industry with all their tools that they've used in the past, you know, trying to, you know, gateway kids into uh, smoking. you got to replace the people they kill. Um, so <laughs> this is primarily this industry is controlled by the, the tobacco industry, as you know it? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It, I mean, it started off in China, right? The the first e-cigarettes were made, uh, like five, six, seven years ago, I think. Oh. And but but most of the companies are being bought up uh, by Laurier and other big uh, uh, tobacco companies. And of course, the juice comes from tobacco, right? So. Okay. Okay. Now I'm just curious on the article itself. Was that an article? There was no research money behind that. It's just something you decided to do on your own. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, that it had to be done. I, you know, when I talked to the organizers at uh, Indoor Air 2014, I said, "It was." I said, "Is there really no papers on e-cigarettes? We have to have a paper on e-cigarettes." So I uh, spent a few of my weekends prior to the conference putting together that hazard assessment uh, from, from research that actually was done by other people. And where was that research done, Bud? You know, the, some of the best research has been, uh, go back to Roswell Park Cancer Institute <laughs> uh-huh. um, in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Matchy Gonowick is certainly one of the, uh, you know, uh, prolific uh, researchers and editor. And, and then some of my colleagues are at the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany, Tobias Schripp, Tunga Salthammer, uh, are doing some really good stuff on this. I see. Okay. Now, Let's talk briefly about the chemicals that are found. I think that's pretty easy. We can tell them what they are, but I'm just curious where the heck they come from, at least with respect to the metals. Let's break it into, like, you know, what are the the big ones, all right? And if you look at the paper, uh, you'll you'll see the the big ones are uh, the carrier, of course, propylene glycol and or glycerol and nicotine. Those are the major, major ones. But then there are the other ones, the... uh, perhaps unintended, uh, well, some of them are intended. One, there's the flavorants. Now, uh, flavorants are often put into food stuff like propylene glycol uh, and, uh, you know, deemed uh, non-toxic for ingestion. Uh, and But uh, it's well known in, uh, in the environmental um, business that uh, a lot of these um, things that are so-called generally recognized as safe GRAS by the um, by FDA for ingestion, uh, not good at all to be breathed in. 
Like for instance, like diacetyl is a, a common flavoring compound. I don't know if it's in uh, some of these e-cigarettes, but it's in like buttered popcorn and stuff like that. And people that work in the factories making this stuff uh, uh, get you know some serious lung diseases from that. And same thing with the the propylene glycol. Uh, people that work in theater or rock and roll shows with uh, uh, theater smoke. This is typical propylene glycol and known to cause eye and respiratory uh, issues. Finally, there's the, you know, um, there's these uh, nitrosamines. These are the cancer-causing compounds that are in in tobacco. And when they extract uh, the uh, nicotine from the tobacco to put in these e-juices, keep in mind, none of this is regulated as of yet, right? Not FDA or anything like that. So uh, you got people making this in their bathtubs and stuff or who knows what. And what these crude extractions do is when they extract nicotine, comes over with it are these cancer compounds and nitrosamines. Um, so, um, so I guess you know, the major ones are the glycols and the nicotine, but also the flavorants, the nitrosamines. Oh, and the biggie here. I should mention, because this is some of the research we're very involved with. It turns out that when you heat up the glycols, the major thing in these juices, uh, you get thermal oxidation of the glycols into aldehydes, such as formaldehyde, which is a potent irritant and a carcinogen. So, um, yeah, these, the, 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 those are the main contaminants that uh, you're faced with as e-cigarettes. What about these? Hey, Joe, I've got a follow-up. Follow but, um, you know, you've talked about glycol and what happens if it's overheated. Uh, how does glycerol can compare to that? Or are they pretty yeah, same, same thing. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a whole, you know, it's not just formaldehyde. It's a whole bunch of aldehydes. And, uh, right. Now, I was a little surprised to see that the cadmium, lead, nickel were also mm-hmm. byproducts. Where mm-hmm. does that come from? Well, I guess you're not too surprised that it is an e-cigarette, an electronic cigarette okay. with wires and heaters and stuff like that. So, ah, ah, okay, okay. So that's by and how did you know to look for these, or did you just you know check for, or I guess the researchers that you looked at there, right? right. Most of the best stu- the study that I based most of this on was uh, by Matthew Gonowitz at uh, Roswell Park. Uh, Cancer Institution, and he did the best, the biggest study so far. And so I used his data to produce the emission rates, to produce the modeling, to do the hazard assessments. So, right, and so they chose these things to look for, and uh, you know, and 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 there you have it. And there, I guess there could be other things in there that they don't, they're not aware of. Well, it, Absolutely, and you got to keep in mind, just in indoor air quality in, in general, think of it as an iceberg. The tip of the iceberg are things we can measure and have exposure criteria for. Mm-hmm. Then under the water is you know 90% of the things that uh, we might be able to measure, but there's no exposure criteria, or we can't even measure. So, right, so... Hmm. Now, the, the marketing claims are that the only byproduct is, is a harmless water vapor. Where, where do the makers and the marketers of these e-cigarettes claim these other chemicals go if they do? They lie. Ah. This is, I mean, have you seen the movie, uh, read the book, Thank You for Smoking? Yeah. You should. It's an excellent movie about the tobacco industry and their lies. Um, you know, they've been in the back uh, back backstage a little bit uh, uh, with, with the cigarette regulations and everything, but it's all back with the same lies and stuff. And, yeah, they they, they don't make any uh, – they just say, you know, what they do, which is this is totally fine. It doesn't produce anything, and so they just flat out lie. And they don't have to tell anybody what, uh, what – ingredients are in the e-cigarettes at this point, correct? Well, it, no, that's that's right. Uh, they're, in fact, uh, some of them are somewhat forthcoming and others aren't. I remember calling some of them and some of the research that we're doing, you know, asking for the ingredients and, you know, not getting anything. And I'm kind of half thinking, maybe I should tell them my, it, my baby just, like, swallowed a whole bunch. Can you please tell me what's in it? 
but um, I have not been able. To, they're not very forthcoming in, in, in any of this information, right? So you know, in, in terms of babies and children and so on and so forth, I was doing some research and, and preparing for the show. And in certain situations, you can buy these materials in a bulk form, and the they're very very dangerous in, in liquid form because there's a large amount of nicotine in there. And I mean, you can definitely get very, very sick, or a child could... And it's transdermal, too, yeah. So you don't even have to ingest it. You can just get it on your hand. So right. so these people that are working in their closets and their bathtubs or whatever, making these e-fluids, yeah, you, have, you can go buy like a 55-gallon drum of nicotine, uh, but it's extremely toxic, and you have to be very careful. Hmm. Now, what other chemical emissions do you think may we may be fi- may find, um, or mm-hmm. you know, are you, are you I kind of touched on some of them. The you know the main the the the, uh, the the things that we're mainly concerned with are this huge amount of uh, these uh, uh, you know ultra fine nano droplets because what comes out of that mouthpiece are condensed liquid drops. They're uh, you know uh, submicron in size, nano size droplets of liquid. Most of it is glycol, contains the nicotine, contains the aldehydes uh, and formaldehyde from the um, uh, thermal oxidation, contains the flavorants, uh, many of which are uh, uh, lung irritants, and uh, heavy metals, contains the carcinogens, the nitrosamines. And, you know, we all know that, you know, with PM10, PM2.5, you know, the smaller the particles, the deeper they go into the lungs and more damage it causes. Well, this is like PM less than one. This is very fine stuff and uh, gets into the very sensitive parts of the lungs. And how, how cold does it become? I mean, it gets heated up really high. I mean, we're talking before the show, it might be as much as 700 degrees Fahrenheit, 350 or so centigrade. Right. How, how quickly does that cool off? Instantly. Okay. Right. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of mass, right? This is a, an aerosol. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, at that time, it's a vapor. But, um, but when it cools, uh, it, it cools uh, uh, very quickly before it even le- leaves the mouthpiece. I mean, you wouldn't want to inhale 700-degree you know, vapor, right? Right. right. So, yeah, the, the whole, uh, as soon as it leaves the heater, it cools and it condenses. And uh, when it leaves the mouthpiece, it's a, an aerosol, that smoke you see, and it's cool. So the most accurate term for the visible smoke w- would be what? Well, yeah, they, they 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 like to use the term vaping, right? It sounds kind of cool. I'm, you know, there are vapors and vapor rooms and everything, but what comes out is not a vapor at all, really. It's an aerosol, and that aerosol is, you know, uh, these condensed submicron liquid droplets that contain these chemicals, including, you know, some that are carcinogenic. So it's. They should be saying they're aerosolizing, but okay. doesn't, I don't think it has the appeal as vaping. No, that's that. You know, you've got to have that that marketing, uh, you know, yeah. side to it as oh, well. Oh, the, the tobacco companies are all yeah, they're definitely the kings of that. Yeah, and they they're probably loving this. I mean, it seems like um, you know they're obviously having some issues with less and less smoking, at least in this country. Now, you mentioned these came out oh, of they're China. Doing, they're doing plenty fine in other countries. Well, that's what I was going to lead, lead <laughs> into. Um, you mentioned this came out of China, and as I understand it, now I haven't been to China, but as, in reading, smoking is a huge problem over there. You don't even have to smoke. You just go outdoors in Beijing, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> How was Hong Kong? Hot oh, and yeah. humid. Hot and humid, huh? What's the pollution? It's like? great. I love that. I love that place. Oh, okay, okay. All right, uh, Cliff. You want, you have another one you want to do before um, we're getting close to halftime? Yeah, I do. It's it's you know it's probably a, a short one. You know, Bud, you live in, and work in California, and California is is known for regulating everything. How did they get these things approved for sale in the state of California? Uh, basically ambushed, you know. I mean, this stuff just leapt on the market, as you probably have seen in your own lives all across the country. It, these little shops are springing up everywhere. So it, regulation is happening. Uh, in California, for instance, you know, you have to be, uh, uh, you, you can't be, you know, like a, a young kid. You have to be over 18. Um, 
but um, there's just not a there's just a, not a lot of regulation yet um, across the country. But it's fast coming. I mean, the, the FDA has a proposed ruling out right now, and uh, you know some of the things that they're going to be doing is you have to register. You know, you have to list the ingredients. Um, you, you can't make claims of reduced risk if you don't have any ev- scientific evidence to back it up. You can't distribute free samples. Um, minimum age, uh, health warnings. Uh, so there's stuff, you know, just, you know, legislation takes time to happen. So, but it's moving along, um, I think, pretty quickly. So, the- Are you a lot of smoke in your car? Uh, you know, I remember, you know, when I was a smoker, I was testifying in a court case out there, and uh, I knew in the city of Davis you weren't allowed to smoke even in your own car. It was considered a, a fire hazard. But I, I guess this you're allowed to do in your car? Uh, you're not allowed to smoke in your car with kids. <laughs> That's okay. against the law. And, and we did uh, we did uh, some research on that and published some stuff. Yeah, but obviously, even with the windows open and stuff like that, Smoking in a car is a huge amount, and so if you have a child with you in the car, that's illegal. So, Bud, these are not regulated at this point on the federal level. Do any states have regulations that you're aware of? Um, well, you know, I think there are regulations popping up uh, in communities, um, you know, uh, and the state level uh, all over the place okay. right now. So, and the, the, the gist of it is things are being regulated like tobacco. Um, in fact, um, I know you're going to go to halftime, soon, but um, in just this past summer, I wrote a um, an addenda standard 62. Everyone knows standard 62. That's the ventilation thing we talked at the start of the show. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of returning to standard 62. I said, no, we need to expand our how we treat tobacco smoke to other things, combustion of or smoking of any uh, substance. Uh, which would be uh, cannabis, uh, tobacco, uh, herbal cigarettes, clove cigarettes, or any kind of vaporization, uh, electronic smoking devices. So that's now in public review right now, and that addenda uh, C it is, hopefully will pass quickly. Okay. All right. Let's, let's go to halftime. We'll be back with the second half of our interview We're talking about e-cigarettes. Interesting subject with Bud Offerman. We'll be back in about 90 seconds. Thanks to our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at John Don, J-O-N-D-O-N dot com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X dot com and C-M-M-Online dot com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're going right back at it with today's guest, Bud Offerman. We're talking e-cigarettes. Bud, we should have you back on the line. You do. Great. Um, You know, are there any differences between the products offered? So are there some e-cigarettes that may be, you know, better than others with respect to the chemicals involved or the, the, uh, the better extraction of the nicotine like we talked about earlier? 
okay, let me answer it this way. Uh, first of all, without exception, they all produce harmful chemicals. Okay, but do some produce more than others? Yes. Am I going to name names now? Uh, not yet. But um, uh, they all produce harmful chemicals, and uh, some produce a lot more than others. Um, so. And is that some kind of is that research? You you mentioned other research you you appear to be working on. Is that something you may be working on now? Yes. Yeah, we're doing more research on this aldehyde formation, and I'm we're trying to get some funding for a nicotine because a lot of the research that's been done on passive exposure to nicotine is using test methods that uh, have been used for cigarette smoke uh, nicotine, and that's mostly in the gas phase. And the samplers don't catch the particle phase, but with e-cigarettes, it's different. E-cigarettes, the nicotine's dissolved in the glycol, and it co-condenses out of the, out of the heater into these liquid droplets. And so uh, we think that the uh, exposures, passive exposures to nicotine are being substantially uh, under-measured right now. So... Hmm. Uh, we're continuing our research on the glycol or the the aldehyde um, thermal oxidation issue, and then we're trying to move forward on nicotine. Cliff. Okay. Um, so, do you think that this passive smoke hazard, uh, you know, to other occupants in both the immediate area? and not such an immediate area. You know, uh, in places where people, you know, used to smoke cigarettes, the cigarettes would kind of smoke themselves. If you weren't inhaling it, you know, they, they would smoke down, and you could visibly see, you know, residues on the ceilings and and uh, so on and so forth. How far do you think this stuff is moving in the building? Any idea? Well, it, it, we don't. it's not any different than any other contaminant. There's a lot of air motion you know, when you're sitting where you are sitting right now, of course, you can't see it unless you get your wizard stick out or something, right? Um, but there's a lot of convection and air motion from thermal gradients in buildings and the ventilation system. So things spread out uh, rather quickly um, throughout the building. So, um, but I mean, the, the question of, you know, for sure, this is a hazard to the users, but for sure, it poses a, a, a you know a health risk to the passive, uh, the indirect exposed people, the the people that are nearby the users. Um, and if you look at Table Two, um, and, and people that are looking at this, uh, Table Two is the hazard quotient. Hazard quotient is kind of nice because you know you're not talking about the parts per million and whatever stuff. You're talking about the ratio of the modeled exposure to the health guideline. So if it's one, it's right at the health guideline. Well, I'm looking at the indirect exposure for non-cancer effects, for uh, uh, other health effects, uh, respiratory effects. The nicotine health hazard quotient is 5.4, and the propylene glycol uh, hazard quotient is 23. So these aren't just like a little over one. Um, they're substantial. So um, there's, a, there's definitely a risk to people that are not users indoors. But I had a question from that, that table. There's a, and I, I can't read it that well. I either need glasses or my print didn't come out as well as I would like. It's the one that has a um, quotient of 2.36. Is that K, NKL maybe? Oh yeah, that's NNK. NNK. What is yeah, that? Yeah, that's that's well, it's a it's a longer word than you want me to say. Uh, okay, <laughs> but okay. it, that's one of the nitrosamines we talked about. These are tobacco specific carcinogens, right? And how is it finding in into the e-cigarette? It's through these crude extraction, you know, from the tobacco to get the nicotine that you get some of the other bad things, including like in this case NNK. I see. And the one that kind of I was surprised is the cadmium. It came out at 5.13. I guess once again from mm-hmm. the... Yeah, I mean, you know, in these, uh, you know, soldering and, and, and electronic things, the, the, these are things that are in the e-cigarette, so it's not really that surprising that you get some metals out. And, and, and the exposure criteria for cadmium, of course, is pretty low. It's a pretty bad, bad metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I assume... 
this has gotten the attention of some people maybe in the industry um, seeing these in print in an ASHRAE uh, journal. Um, do you think that they're going I to... I always checked underneath my car before I started. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but do you think it, it might get enough attention to where... I mean, it seems to me the cadmium and some of the, some of the other metals, they should be able to engineer that to the point where it's, it's much less of an issue anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I won't be assisting in that effort, but uh, um, no, I, I, I would see that. Uh, and I think the bigger problem is once you decide you want to have a cigarette and you want to emulate everything, make it look like a cigarette, you hold it in your fingers, you can blow smoke rings. When you see, get that glycol and heating it up to make the condensed aerosol, I, I think that's going to be difficult to engineer around. Um, of course, you don't really need it other than to, to recreate the smoking experience, and uh, which would be kind of contrary to the whole cessation um, that, uh, that, that they hold out that you know these are cessation devices. They help you quit. And I get the impression you feel that this is an unnecessary cessation device, that there are better ways to get your nicotine if that's what it is that you're trying to wean yourself off of. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, come on, start being such a crybaby. I mean, just quit <laughs> uh, or or get a patch or whatever. But, um, yeah, uh, um, are these less harmful than cigarettes? These cigarettes, I, I, I conclude in my paper, they are. How much less? We don't know. So just a little bit less, but still a significant health risk, perhaps. Um so, yeah, the, I think that this is not the way to go if you're trying to get your, uh, for your lung's sake, to quit smoking. Um, smoking, this, this stuff, uh, I don't think is a good idea. I think there's other ways in contact your local uh, uh, American Lung Association. I'm sure they'll help you. You know, what's kind of interesting is it's not just cigarettes anymore. Uh, in doing some research, I found that they actually have e-cigars. They actually have e-pipes. Right. And uh, on on the video, they actually have people that um, will film themselves. You know, I guess they're experts in this genre. And, you know, they'll video themselves putting the uh, the pipe together or putting the cigar together and then using it. And, you know, what, what's kind of scary is that I, I guess you can order the uh, the amount of nicotine, you know, you, you know, do you want a little bit, do you want a moderate amount, do you, do you want a heavy amount? And, you know, I remember watching this video, and this guy, you know, had this pipe, and he just, you know, took it, you know, inhaled it, took a hit the same as he would, you know, with a cigarette. And, you know, and then he just commented, you know, you know, this is really, really strong, and, you know, my head's going to blow off, and, 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 and so on and so forth. So I, I, I do think that there are some hazards that, um, you know, people don't understand. And on the recreational side, it's also available without nicotine. You know, people are right. Just, I, mean, I mean, another thing I want to bring up here, uh, uh, aside, it's a huge amount of oil that you're ingesting into your lungs, you know, uh, uh, using these things. Um, that, I think, is not good at all. But just looking at the aldehydes, just looking at formaldehyde, in some of these products, uh, the aldehyde levels, uh, the formaldehyde concentration that you're inhaling is above the NIOSH IDL-8, immediately dangerous to life and health. So these aren't just like, well, you know, these are huge concentrations in some, in some of the products with the higher emissions of formaldehyde. So... Um, it poses, I think, a, a substantial health risk. So the, say that again, if you would, but the aldehydes, the, the level of aldehyde exposure when you're inhaling one of these is higher than the IDLH? For right. So let me put this in perspective for you. So if you calculate the concentration in a puff, right? Okay. The, those, the concentration of the formaldehyde in a puff, that concentration is um, exceeds uh, you know whatever twenty or fifty parts per million, which is the IDLH for formaldehyde. Hmm. Now that is just one puff, and obviously you're not puffing every breath, right? Right, right. So there's that difference, but still, I think it puts into perspective a little bit that every puff from a cigarette with a high 
high emissions of formaldehyde, you're, you know, breathing into your lungs, concentrations are extremely high and exceed the IDLH. Well, and if you're in a room with a bunch of other people doing this at the same time, essentially every breath you take, you're, you're getting some exposure. Right. The, the hazard quotient that I did uh, shows the main things were going to be the nicotine and the propylene glycol. Um, and not so much these metals or the NNK or the aldehydes. Um, but, it, but it sounds like the aldehyde information is maybe still developing? It is. There's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, you know, papers probably coming out every few weeks or every month or so on this. So, um, but um, um, the data is all being, it's all pretty consistent, showing you know, one, one research, uh, recent uh, paper by Matchy Gonowicz again, uh, where they vary the voltage and the temperature of the glycol heat, uh, for the heater and showing exactly what you would, would you presume is that, that uh, the, um, the higher the temperature, the more, glyc- the more aldehyde formation you get. Um, and, and we've also done, you know, some of these uh, e-cigarettes, we found very high emissions of formaldehyde. Uh, it's also right in the liquid. So it's not just all being, uh, most of it's being thermally oxidized and changed into formaldehyde, but the liquid itself, unheated, has formaldehyde in it. Hmm. And what, how does I mean, that get There's there? no regulation on this, you know, <laughs> zero. <laughs> so people are just are literally, when I say I'm not joking, mixing it up in their bathtubs, um, that's what's happening. Now, let me ask you about one of the assumptions in the paper here on, on the direct exposure assessment. Maybe you can mm-hmm. explain this a little better for me. Um, 175 puffs a day, a puff volume of 70 mm-hmm. um, milliliters yes. per puff. Okay. Mm-hmm. The respiratory absorption of the inhaled vapor was assumed to be 100% for all compounds. Now, right. Is that – I, I – I'm not quite understanding. As I understand, well, let me let me know. let me explain. I hear where you're coming from. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, when we're doing these kind of hazard assessments, we're not trying to do a true like population weighted whatever exposure. We're checking the fences. Okay. okay. So we're going worst case. So we'll just assume that it's 100 percent absorbed into the lungs. Now, if someone doesn't inhale, just puffs. You know, there's very little absorption. There's no absorption to the lungs if it doesn't go into the lungs. Uh, but for many things, like, for instance, the aldehydes, um, they're very efficiently absorbed into the lungs. So for some of these compounds, um, our assumption is, you know, uh, is a very good assumption, 100%. And for other things, it, 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 it perhaps overstates it. But we're checking worst case here. We want to see. I mean, is if we check, we assume it's 100% absorbed into the lungs, and if the hazard quotients were all less than one, we'd be like, well, I guess, you know, that's okay. I guess they're fairly safe. Okay. Yeah, all right. All right. We didn't find that. Okay. And then um, I guess it also makes a difference with respect to whether, you know, some people might hold it in longer or just kind of puff and blow it out, et cetera. Like, yeah. I think that's right. Okay. That's what I was kind of saying is right. Uh, yeah. If you were to hail it into your lungs, those things – that are absorbed quickly, like formaldehyde, into the lungs, that'll be um, close to 100%. And for others, uh, you know, and if you don't hold it in or if you just puff on it and blow it out, um, then there won't be uh, that much uh, uh, dose to the lungs. Okay. What about the oils? What kind of a dose? I mean, how how well does that absorb? I mean, this is a new. I mean, whoever you know, uh, inha- you know, in, in, inhales into the lungs two milligrams a day of oil. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the epidemiological study is is on way, right? It's okay. not. It's not a, 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 an epidemiological study that's done in a. It, it's the people that are doing it right now. We're going to see down the road what happens, but uh, I'm just amazed at the amount of mass of oil that goes into your lungs when you're smoking these things. Are there so, any um, occupations or other, you know, I guess occupations would be the best example where people are in an oil-based atmosphere that you can kind of, you know, get some idea? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are. Um, I mean, in the paper we cite the the study by uh, Weislander. I think he's with NIOSH, an experiment exposure to propylene glycol mist in an aviation emergency training center. 
mm-hmm. uh, where they fi- you know find acute ocular and respiratory effects, so eye and and lung effects, um, but also like people that work in the uh, entertainment business where you're uh, using fog machines and stuff like that. These are often using propylene glycol and stuff like that. And, um, uh, and, and there's been many, many complaints and NIOSH investigations into uh, people that have complaints about eye and respiratory irritation from the glycols. Yeah, we were talking before the show that, you know, a lot of us, including those lists, some listening in, use use a product that uh, includes propylene glycol for air testing, you know, for current testing, I guess. For yeah, yeah, I use one too. <laughs> testing pathways, but uh, obviously we're not inhaling it or we're trying to avoid it as much as possible. So, uh, Right, right. No, uh, well, that's a question for another time. I, I'm just curious about the uh, how that how that smoke essentially reacts with respect to buoyancy. Um, it seems like it, it's a little less buoyant or a little more buoyant than some of the other smokes I've used. But anyway, uh, Cliff, do you have any others you want to go to or you want me to finish these up here? We've got about 10 minutes left. Yeah, Joe, I think we, we should probably focus into what IEPs, you know, need to know yeah. and, and, and be able to tell their clients and Agreed. that sort of thing. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. What what is you know what's the key takeaway points for our indoor environmental professionals that are you know consultants on indoor air quality, etc. Here, bud. Well, you know, I think that yeah, um, you know, if I think the the conclusion that we had in our paper pretty much sums it up that uh, hey, uh, the the claims that by the manufacturers e-cigarettes only admit you know, harmless water vapor and their safety use it indoors is a big fat lie. Uh, they produce uh, many harmful chemicals, and uh, it, they need to be regulated like tobacco smoking. So if you're an IEP and you're being asked to advise or whatever on, on, on these things indoors, uh, the, the recommendation, no. And if you're an IEP and you're just considering uh, trying to quit smoking, um, I don't think that this would is a, a, a safe way to go about it. I think there are other ways to do it and comp- contact your American Lung Association uh, as far as cessation uh, strategies go. Um, what else? Um, um, they, yes, it's, and so the, I guess they, could, they pose a health risk to both the user and the non-user. Um, so I guess... Um, there might be companies or, or, or businesses that may ask these guys to help them develop a, a like a plan or a um, I had the word here a, a policy for these products in their buildings, and I guess the simple answer is don't don't allow it in the buildings. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, the, just the legal liability. I mean, there's enough uh, papers, not not just the paper that we did, but all the papers that have been on this that show that. Uh, e-cigarettes contain uh, harmful chemicals and pose health risks that you wouldn't want to be uh, enabling that in a building you own. It would be um, um, there would be a lot of liability there. Do you still? Yeah, but on the other hand, but you know, they may hire an IEP. You know, if someone wanted to open up a uh, one of these shops to sell and, and allow people to. You know, to smoke these, you know, they're going to want you know, recommendations on in terms of you know how would we properly ventilate it, and you know, uh, you're talking about in a vapor shop or something where people are right. Yeah. Well, if you're, in, you know, I don't know if the well, <laughs> who are you trying to protect? I mean, the users are are, are in, you know ingesting are, are being exposed to huge quantities just using i don't think that the secondhand exposure on top of the direct exposure really is a significant thing now on the other hand if you've got workers in there that are non-users um that's a yeah and i i think i i in the paper i i i've done um you know, I, I looked at some of the ASHRAE guidelines for ventilation and stuff like that, and, and uh, you really can't ventilate uh, the concentrations down to a safe level with the e-cigarettes uh, if you have a you know significant amount of usage, like in a vapor room. So I don't think you can protect the non-users in a vapor room with ventilation. 
the only way to do it would be not to have it, and that's of course the point of a vapor room, right? <laughs> well, and, and why not? Let's let's point out uh, filtration real quick here, but any. <laughs> Well, you know, filtration is, you know, uh, is just limited ventilation. With ventilation, every every chemical is removed from the space, right? Uh, the gases, the particles, uh, it doesn't matter. Filtration just removes, you know, um, usually particles, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe some gases, but it's just, you know, some of the things. Uh, but it, 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 the, it, the same conclusion is you really can't have uh, enough um ventilation with outdoor air or with air cleaning uh, uh, to produce a, a, a level that has, uh, you know, uh, not an unacceptable risk to the non-user. So um, that's my message to the IEPs. Um, I, I don't think there's any, uh, any engineering approach uh, if, to allow indoor usage of these devices and protection of the non-users. I guess one of the things I'm curious about, but is there anything that, you know, when you were doing all this research and in your continued research here, is there anything that surprised you? Um, yeah, I think uh, I was surprised. Uh, I was surprised about the glycol for, or the aldehyde formation, the thermal oxidation uh, that I hadn't um, foreseen. I was I was really surprised when I did the calculations at how much oil is being deposited into the lungs. Um, the uh, carryover of the nitrosamines from the extraction process of the nicotine, uh, those uh, uh, tobacco carcinogens coming over into the e-fluids. Um, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but nonetheless, I was surprised. Uh, so, um, and I, I, I dare say I'll probably continue to be surprised as I continue my research in this area. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff, bud. Cliff, anything you'd like to add before we go? I guess if I had one final question, but uh, do you have any idea uh, what processes are used uh, for this uh, nicotine extraction? Um, no, not really. Um I might have heard that maybe methylene chloride or some other nasty things right. being used for it, but uh, yeah, so I, I, no, I, I don't know. Okay, and I I do have one other one. When I was I was looking through the um, through the article, bud, and there was a, a section here on the, the flavorants and the, mm-hmm. the, the propylene glycol carriers and etc. And, and then the flavorants. And you have uh, quoted a Weislander uh, conducted experimental study of 27 individuals exposed to propylene glycol aerosol for one minute period of airborne concentrations, etc. The results of the post-exposure measurement of tear film stability and forced expiratory respiratory volume indicated that short-term exposures uh, can cause acute eye and upper respiratory irritation in non-asthmatic patients. Right, um, right. That, wonder, that's the Weislander study that I mentioned. It right. And the so you remember, propylene glycol is actually put into food, right? Yep. And I think we went through this, that there are a lot of things that are apparently uh, have no adverse health effects when ingested. There's a lot of protection stuff through your digestive system to get out the bad things. Your lungs don't have any of that. So things like propylene glycol or like flavorants like diacetyl, uh, when you eat them, maybe not such a bad thing, but inhaling them, bad thing. I was curious about how how is tear film stability measured? Well, that's again out of my daily wit, but uh, uh, so I, I I don't know. That's I, I don't do research on that, but I defer to the NIOSH researchers that do that. And what is that? Do you know if that's like a? Um... Why, why do they measure that? That's, I guess, what I would ask. Yeah, I don't know how they. Do it, but one of the things is that the the different chemicals uh, you can uh, that you know deposit on the tear uh, film layer on your eye can break that tear film layer up, and you want to have a tear film over your eyeball, <laughs> otherwise it gets irritated. So by breaking that up with chemical exposure. Uh, produces the eye irritation. I see. Okay. Okay. And then, of course, they're still looking at and the forced expert, expiratory respiratory volume. I think we all are familiar with that. 
um, indicated. If you do respiratory, you know, you're in a respiratory plan, you're probably doing spirometry, right? Right. And so that's what we're talking about here. Okay, so they're looking at that, and it did cause acute eye and upper respiratory irritation, even in even in non-asthmatic patients, which I thought was an interesting uh, statement yeah. in your paper here. But before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, and, and by the way, I really appreciate you joining us here, and I didn't know it was five years, and we've got to get you well, back sooner. Yeah, I would just say that um, I was so surprised flying back from Roswell Park uh, Cancer Institute in Buffalo, New York, on United Airlines, that someone was uh, using an e-cigarette r- right next to me. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Wow. You can't do that. And he goes, well, no one said I couldn't do it. And I said, well, I'm saying I would prefer you not to, and you put it away. I asked the flight attendant, again, United Airlines, said, on the way out, I said, do you guys have a policy about e-cigarettes? And I said, yeah, we don't allow those. And I said, well, would you announce that at the beginning of the flight? I didn't seem to hear that. And they said no. So one thing I would say is write into your airline carriers and say that we're in an educational part uh, of this uh, long, strange trip right now. And people, because the advertising is so strong from the tobacco people about that these are okay to use indoors, the message does need to get out. They need to say it in their little thing. You know, you don't have to say no smoking cigarettes, I guess, anymore, but you have to remind people that e-cigarettes are verboten. I I can appreciate that. So he was smoking during the flight, not before. Yeah, they try to hide it, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, in their hand. They, You know, you're like, what's he doing? And then he's blowing the smoke out. And I'm like... Really? <laughs> wow. So New York to San Francisco? Or I mean, yeah. yeah, that's a long flight. That's tough for those tough for the smokers to go three hours, four hours, five hours without a cigarette, so I can imagine. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting, bud. Well hey, thanks so much for joining us once again. Uh Cliff, anything before we go you'd like to add? No, I'm good. Thanks, Joe. And Cliff, well, thanks for having me, guys. We appreciate you being here, and hopefully we'll get you back again soon, um, as, especially if you're getting more involved with the ventilation stuff with uh, ASHRAE again. Did you say you were getting back into that committee? or? Well, I, I've been just you – no, know, I, I, I'm working um, – no, no, no. I don't think <laughs> – I think those days might be gone. Um, but I'm working um, outside of the committee, but I, I'm the person that authored the proposed addenda – that expands us to e-cigarettes. So I, I just did it right from the public. So, but yeah, uh, they'll, they'll get it done. I well, I'm sure they will. But uh, thanks again for joining us, and we'll we'll talk to you again soon. All right, very good, guys. All right, and, uh, All right. this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much to this week's guest, Bud Offerman. Great job, Bud. Uh, of course, to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff. Good job, Cliff. And thanks so much for helping out with the questions. No problem, Joe. No problem. I was uh, on the road at one of our sponsors, John Don, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Great people with John Don. And several said to say hello to the Z-Man. Thank you, Jessica, for uh, your assist at the controls. As always, no glips, no blips, no nothing. Good job. Uh, thanks again for our growing group of loyal listeners out there. I saw John. We had Dave Burr. Uh, Andy, the whole gang's here. Of course, Dottie Baby, thanks for joining us and checking in. Please come back next Friday. We'll be back next Friday. I don't even know what it is next Friday. Next Friday is going to be, what, the 26th. We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio.